We're so glad that you joined us today for this podcast from Bishop Quentin Moore and the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas. God loves you and wants the best for you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Share your story with us by sending an email to mystory@fathershouse.net. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at fathershouse.net slash give. Just select the option that works for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I believe that God has something for you this morning. I'd like to think that maybe uh, the word that I have for you um, will speak into your lives. How many of you guys were here last Sunday? Yeah. Oh, I got one one person to clap. That's that's good. I thought it was a little better than that, but I mean, maybe it wasn't. Last week, um, I talked to you guys about what it meant to be a church on fire. I want to want to tie off that a little bit. Um, this this idea of what it means to to be a church on fire and and I'll I'll be real honest with you the the entire week um, I, I I don't know how your week was um, what I can tell you here is it seems as though the entire week has been nothing but a struggle to get to Sunday nothing but a struggle to get to this point um, which uh, we have the ability to kind of laugh at right. Um, I, I think the enemy would really hope that it would defeat, that it would deflate, um, but uh, it, it just it got to a point where there were so many roadblocks, so many, so many different hiccups that it just became comical. I, I mean, like, oh, well, what's next? Like, the fact that I'm standing here is a miracle in and of itself. Last week, I, I talked about what it meant to be a, a church on fire. I talked about what it meant to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And, and I, gave, um, I gave five different characteristics of what I thought a church would look like on fire, and I, and I gave these three elements that you would need to start that church, right? Those, those characteristics were a church on fire is always lit. A church on fire is refined, uh, a church on fire doesn't burn bridges. A church on fire doesn't burn at both ends. A church on fire always burns bright. I said that um, in, in order to, to be that church on fire, you have to have three elements. Uh, a relationship with God, a surrender to God, and a discipline within God. And that those are the three elements that then ignited that fire. And as I've thought about this week and how I wanted to approach it, um, what occurred to me is that, you know, I can give you the five, five characteristics, I can give you the, the three elements, uh, but if we're not intentional about it, it really doesn't matter anyway. If we're not intentional about the relationship we have, it really doesn't matter anyway. That, and, and, and can I just say, I don't want you to get caught up on the five and the three because it, to step into a relationship with God is not a formula. It's not something, one plus one doesn't equal two with God. I'm not even quite sure what it equals with God. But this isn't about a formula. You can't put the, the, the five together and, and, and add the three and get eight. 
right? That this isn't something that I, I didn't preach this word last week, so you have the ability to say, I did this and I did this. It, it's like the rich young ruler, right? When he goes to Jesus and says, Hey, I've done all the things that you've called me to, or that, that you've told me I needed to do. What else do I need to do? And Jesus looks at him and says, I need you to sell everything and follow me. And he walks away. Because yep. that's what happens when you try and put a formula around God, you end up walking away. You end up disappointed. You end up defeated because you thought, if I could just do this and I could just do this. No, we have to be intentional about the relationship that we step into. We have to be intentional about the, the things we, we fixate on. We have to be intentional about the way we live our lives. We have to be intentional about the gray matter in between our ears. Can I get an amen? Thank you. There's two things about last week that you need to understand. The first is not that God showed up, because God's here. God's always here. The Bible says over and over that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So it's not that God showed up last week. It's that we paid attention to him showing up when we were intentional about responding to him. See, that's what happens when, when you step into a relationship with God, that when you are intentional with God and you respond to his moving, that things change in your life. If you, are, if you are stepping into a relationship with God, asking him to just fix everything while you sit on the sidelines and eat your popcorn, you've misunderstood the God that I'm speaking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being in the trenches with God or him in your trench, understanding that when, when he shows up or when you recognize him in your life and you respond to him, your life changes. The second thing that I want you to understand from last week, and, and I've already kind of stated it a couple of times, is that the enemy knows exactly what happened last week. It would be interesting to see any, to, to ask the people who responded to the altar call last week, bring them up here and ask them about their week. Maybe some of them had a, had a good week, but I can guarantee you that some of them were attacked this week. Some of them hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Someone, some of them stepped into money and, Monday and said, man, I had a really good day yesterday, but what happened? The enemy understands and knows your weak spots, and he's going to poke and prod as many times as he can. He wants you to question the relationship you have with God. He wants you to question everything that it is that you're doing, and he knows exactly how to do it. So this morning, what voice are you going to listen to? God says, I'll show you a free and light life in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. The enemy says, you don't deserve it. God says, I have blessing after blessing for you. The enemy poses a question, does he really? God says, I have chosen you. The enemy says, he chose you before you screwed up. We have to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. We have to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. God is never going to condemn you. God is never going to condemn you. He will convict you. But he will never condemn you. The voice we respond to determines the future we experience. 
the voice we respond to determines the, the future that, that we experience. And we have a choice as, the thought, as to the thoughts that we consume because we need to understand that as we consume those thoughts, those thoughts will one day consume us. So what is it that we're thinking on? What are the things that we think on? What are the things that we allow into our minds? What are the thoughts that we are consuming? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Another translation says, I destroy every claim, every reason that keeps people from knowing God. Sometimes, sometimes we just need to repeat that line, right? That, that, is a, that is a line that we need to put on the window or on the mirror when we get up in the morning. I, can, I destroy every claim, every reason that keeps people from knowing God. I keep every thought under control in order to make it obey Christ. Can I just say, if we're going to be a church on fire, we got to destroy the insecurities in our lives. If we're going to be this church, if you're going to be this man or this woman on fire for God, that we've got to destroy the insecurities of our minds. We've got to allow God to do some pruning in our lives. That's what we talked about last week. Church on fire is refined. That is that moment where God comes into our lives and he, he, he uh, cuts off the spiritual fat. But he doesn't leave you just cut off. He doesn't leave that stuff. He, he adds himself to, to you, right? He adds that knowledge. He adds that love. He adds that peace. He adds that hope and that joy. He adds th that, that wisdom that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit would become more apparent in your life. These insecurities are also what the enemy thrives off of. He's hoping hoping those insecurities go nowhere. That's how he boxes you in. And if he can box you in, if he can isolate you, metaphorically, he can kill you. If he's got you so boxed in by the thing, things that people say about you, by, by the things that you tell yourself, you miss the hope of Jesus. We have to remember who he says we are. Psalm 139 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When he says your works are wonderful, he's not talking about the sky. He's not talking about the trees. He's not talking about the earth. He's not, he's not talking about the stars. He's talking about you and I. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. I know that full well. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. The question for you is, do you know that full well? Do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? I want to speak today um, from the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles, open it to Exodus 3.
this topic of, of insecurity, I believe, um, I believe when that wall is torn down and you hear the voice of God more clearly, that the relationship, the surrender, and the discipline come to you more naturally. That when you step into a relationship with God and you hear the things, not just hear, not just read them on a piece of paper, but just genuinely know them, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are the head and not the tail, above and not below, that you are blessed going in and blessed going out, that that changes something in you. So this topic of insecurity, I feel like I personally know all too well. And so I gotta believe and I gotta hope that as you go free of your insecurities this morning, I go free of mine too. Instead of giving you a, a definition of insecurity, I wanted to give you an example of, uh, of what this looks like and see if you can relate to the feelings it creates. There's a book um, by an author named Brene Brown called Daring Greatly. If you've not read it, someone said, yeah, yeah, it's good, huh? It's real good. I got it in my office. If you want to borrow it, you got to give it back. But it's good. She talks in this book about vulnerability, right? And to, the key to experiencing wholeness in your life is the, is the willingness to be vulnerable, something that we, we really struggle with, right? Some, vulnerability is not something we, we men get this complex over vulnerability. Well, we can't show everything about us. We can't tell every because then so, I just I don't know how they're going to respond. And, and I, the, the insecurities run rampant. The, the key to experiencing love in your life is, is to be exposed. So what does that look like? She says that most of us are driven by a scarcity mentality when it comes to ourselves. She says that the underlying thing that most of us think uh, when we are presented uh, with a problem or a challenge is, I am never blank enough. I'm never fill in the blank I left this blank because um, the, the statement in and of itself, itself is enough to understand, but I believe you can actually add words into that. And depending on the moment, um, from moment to moment or, or from person to person, will depend on what you add into that, right? I am never good enough. I'm never smart enough. I'm never good looking enough, I'm never skinny enough, I'm never strong enough, I'm never happy enough. If I asked you to fill in the, this blank, we would, we would probably be able to, to stay here for a, another good 40, 45 minutes to an hour, right? And the, the, like the first 30 minutes would be all of the churchy answers that you would give me. Because it, it takes a little bit to get into the root of things. It's really hard sometimes for, for us to just stand up here and say, here I am. This is my struggle. God, help me. I don't want anybody else to know it, right? 
I don't want anybody else to know uh, where, where I'm vulnerable. I don't want anybody else to know where I'm we, we act as if God doesn't know who we are, right? We act as if, so I'm, I am so dysfunctional. I am so not worthy. I am never good enough. I am, I'll, I'll, to be honest with you, one of the things that I've struggled with over the years is the smart enough one. I am never smart enough. I grew up thinking that, you know, maybe I could throw a ball every once in a while or maybe I could shoot a basket, but school just, you know, just wasn't for me. Like, if, if you talk to, to, to my friends growing up, if you talk to the people that I went to high school, yeah, he's a really nice guy, yeah, he played a lot of sports. I have no idea how he did in, in, in school. And so I, I step into, that, that, that's something that has always kind of followed me. It's followed me because I've allowed it to follow me. Understand that. Understand that there aren't people around me that are saying, you're dumb, you're an idiot, you're no good. No, there are people around me that actually encourage me all the time. If you would talk to my wife about this insecurity, she, you, you would see that, for the love of God, I can't tell him anything else other than he's good, he's great, he's fantastic. But what is it that you're going to listen to? Am I going to allow the enemy to continue to say that I'm never smart enough? Am I going to step into, you step into a, a conversation with pastor and walk away from him and it's like, well, I'm God. I don't know that I'm ever going to be that smart. I don't know that I'm, uh, I'm ever going to be experienced enough. That would be the other thing, right? Uh, as of this week, I've been on staff for 10 years, which is a, a huge accomplishment in my own personal life. But even, even yeah, thank you. Even after 34 years, of being uh, 34 years old <laughs> and 10 years of being on staff, I still walk into situations and question whether or not I'm experienced enough to do it, I'm smart enough to do it. I'll be 110% transparent with you. You get into a service like this today where you got a thousand moving pieces, you got people that are getting in car wrecks before service and people who wound up getting the flu sometime in the middle of the night that are supposed to fill in, like, and you got all these holes and you got to figure out, there is an experience level that I look, the enemy knows exactly how to hit and say, I don't know if you can pull this off, Sean. I don't know. I don't still know that you're experienced enough. What are the things in your life? I'm never what enough. I'm never good enough. I'm never, fill in the blank. Maybe you're just that much better than I am and you don't have any at all. Hats off to you. After service, help me out because I need some help. I want to talk to you about the voices in our heads that, that continue uh, to say you are not good enough. It's the, the essence of insecurity. It's what, what stifles, I believe, th that fire in our lives that we get lit on a Sunday and we're excited about what God is doing, but on Monday we remember that, well, I just I screwed up last week. and I mean, God won't love me for that. Or I can't be, I can't be so on fire because the people around me are going to remember who I was. I want to talk and take, take a look at a, a guy, a, a very well-known guy in the Bible that, um, that God chose, that God, that God wanted to use in the greatest ways, but he had to deal with the insecurities in, in some of his deepest parts. I'm talking about Moses, the pastor, the leader of the Old, Old Testament, Ecclesia, 
the called out, the gathered. Moses was delivered. But before he could deliver, was a deliverer, but before he could deliver anybody, God had to deliver some things in his life. Believe that so much of our behavior uh, has missed the mark uh, of God's calling in our life because of these insecurities. I was talking to a guy the other day, and um, we, we were just talking about ministry and talking about you know everything that, that's that's going on in in young people's lives. And he said, "You know what the problem is with young people today?" Which, if you ever say that to me, a youth pastor. I'm probably already tuning you out. Because nine times out of ten, if I know you haven't spent time with those teenagers, if I know you haven't spent time in the trenches with those guys, you ain't got the slightest clue of what's going on in their lives. That everything that you see is from a distance. And so this guy continues on and he says, the, the biggest struggle that these kids have today is that they think they're so special. They get on their social media accounts, their Instagram and Facebook and the Snapchat thing, and they post what they ate for today, and they think that everyone's just supposed to go and like it. They just think they're so special. As if that's the driving force behind not living up to God's calling on their lives is their Instagram post. I want to suggest to you today that not just the kids of this generation or yesterday, but the kids 50 years ago and the kids 100 years from now, it's not that they think that they're so special, it's that they have no idea how special they really are. They have no idea how special they really are. And to be honest with you, it's not just the kids today, right? No offense, I'm looking at y'all. I know for a fact that you have insecurities in your life. So it's not, just, it's, it's, it's not just the kids of today thinking that they're so special, not realizing how special, but I'm looking at you saying, no, God says you are special. God says you are set apart. God says you are blessed, that you are chosen, that you have an inheritance, and that it is signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. God does say that you are the head and not the tail. God does say that you are blessed going in and blessed going out. God does say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The question is, is are you going to listen to the insecurities in your your life? Are you going to let yourself be free of those insecurities in, in the relationship with Jesus and be that man or that woman on fire for God? Do you know how special you are? Do you know how special you are? I look through the room and make eye contact with you and you put your head down. God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to look at him square in the eyes because the love that you feel from him, there is no shame there. There is no shame. In Exodus chapter 3, and I'll move along fairly quickly. 
but it's, you find Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 12, um, Moses was tending this flock, Jethro's flock. I love that name, Jethro. We're not having any more kids, man. In the name of Jesus, get out of here, Aunt Sherry. We're not having any more kids. Someone needs to pray. And then right now, you, you get out of here with that. Shelby, you need prayer. Her closest friends need to pray for her right now that things will be in line. The insecurity in her life. In the name of Jesus. I don't know that I can finish the sermon now, guys. I've been married 10 years, and all I've done is have kids. I mean, I guess I haven't had them. We won't get into the. Moses is, is tending Jeth- Jethro's flock. It's his father-in-law. And he comes um, to the mountain of Arab, right? The, the, the mountain of God, to this burning bush. And it, I, Every time I read this story, I, I crack up because the, the, my, the, my translation, um, let me see if I, he says, he says, I will go over and see that strange sight. Those aren't the words that would come out of my mouth if I saw a bush that was on fire but wasn't burning up. That's, that's what the scripture says, is that he, Moses saw a bush that was on fire but it, it wasn't burning up. and says he's going to go see that, that strange sight. Yeah. Awfully strange. I don't know that I actually would have gone. I mean, if you ever, if you put yourself in that situation, I'm not sure that I would have gone to that bush. That's weird, man. That's not natural. But he did. He did. And God saw that and called him Moses, 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 Moses. And he says, I am here. And God asks him to take his shoes off. Because he's standing in a, in a holy place. And, and, and for the next couple of scriptures, he looks at, uh, he, he, God is speaking to, to, to Moses about how he has called him to, to go free the Hebrews from the Egyptians. God calls him. This is, this is a great thing, right? God is, God is looking at, at a man saying, I have, I have chosen you. I have set you apart. I have called you to go deliver my people from the enemies, that you are the dude that is going to do this. But it gets a little sad, and this is exactly my point. In verse 11, he says, it says, but Moses said, God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and deliver your people, deliver, deliver your children. Who am I? Who am I to be able to do that? See, there are two characters that are speaking here. There, you have God and you have Moses. You can't really count the burning, burning bush because that's the median in which God chose to speak to Moses. But can I just suggest that there is this third character here. There is this third thing. There is this, and it's pretty obvious, it doesn't necessarily speak right to it, but there is this third character, and it's the insecurities in Moses. Who am I that I should go deliver your people from the enemy's hands. Who am I? I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I am never going to be that individual who has the ability to do that. 
You can hear it in his voice and you can, you can see it in his actions. You can feel it in his hesitancy. God, I really appreciate the conversation today. God, I really appreciate the, this whole burning bush thing. I think it's pretty cool. I'm not sure that anybody's going to believe me. I'm, I'm going to tell some people about it, but I, I really appreciate you spending time with me today. But who am I? I'm so dysfunctional. I'm so messed up. Now, I, I, I need to give you some backstory because I, I don't want you to think that, that, that Moses was being this, this humble man, right, that says, uh, who, who am I? That I, I wouldn't be able to complete that. In order to understand the insecurity in someone's head, you have to understand the history in which they come from because the enemy will use your history to inform your insecurity, the enemy will use your history to inform your insecurity. God calls you to something. God sets you apart for something. God says that you are the head and not the tail, but you remember when you screwed up. The enemy brings that insecurity into our minds and say, God, I hear what you're saying. God, I believe in who it is that you are. I believe that you are, cho that you are God, that you have chosen me. I just don't, who am I to be able to do this? I am not good enough. I am so dysfunctional. I am a messed up man. In fact, God, I am a murderer. See, Moses was in hiding. He had been in hiding for many years. And he was in hiding because he killed an Egyptian. You see in, second, or in Exodus 2, chapter, or verse 11 through 15, that, that many years ago, he had seen his people, the Hebrews, being beaten and tortured by, by these slaves. And so there was one day where no one was around, and, well, he offed a guy and hit him in the sand. Didn't think anybody saw it. The next scripture, he, the next day he goes out and he sees two Hebrews who are fighting, and he goes to them and he speaks to the guy who was in the wrong, and he says, why is it that you are striking your friend, why is it you're striking your brother? And that guy says, who are you to be the prince or the judge? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Hebrew? And instantly, you were brought back to your past. I'm going to be known by my past. I can't be a man or a woman on fire for God because I got a past. I can do everything I can to step into this relationship, but I've got a past So you get to the spot in your life trying to figure out how it is that you're going to change this. You come to church, you spend your time in church, you hear what we have to say, but you try and, and take things into your, into your own hands. You know what's going on here. You don't want anybody else to know it, so you're going to put this facade up, right? You're going you're gonna to look the part. You're going to talk the part while you're destroyed on the inside. Have you ever watched the TV show The Voice? Yeah? You're not the only, I'm not the only one? That's good. 
We watch The Voice all the time at home. We're not going to hell because of it. So whoever you were over there, neither are you. But The Voice, The Voice, you, you have this performer who comes out on stage and across the stage you have these four experts in the music industry. I think that whoever laughed at that, was, yeah, experts is a loose term. <clears throat> um, and and you, you get up on stage and, and you sing. It's not about the way that you look. It's not about how tall or short you are or skinny or heavy. It's not about that. It's about your voice. And you have 45, like 45 to 60 seconds, right, to impress the judges. And if the judges like you, They'll hit their button, and they'll turn around. And if they turn around, you're on their team. If multiple, m- multiple people turn around, then they kind of banter back and forth, and you then decide what team you would like to be on. What I realize is that we do this with people in our lives. The, the, the insecurities run so rampant because of our past, that we're standing up on stage trying to perform for people that we put in those seats. They didn't necessarily ask to sit in those seats, but we put them in their seats, trying to do everything we can to get their approval, trying to do everything we can to, to prove to them that, uh, that they're worthy, that they're good enough, that, or that, that, I'm, that I'm worthy, that I'm good enough. That, that I, I, and, and, it's, and typically, I've, I find it that it's usually people in their past. It's, it's the, uh, the, the ex-girlfriend or the ex-boyfriend, right? It's the, the ex-spouse. Or it's, maybe it's a, a parent who withheld affirmation from you as a child. Maybe it's someone that you work with. Maybe, maybe it's someone that you go to school with. Maybe it's someone... That, that you, you used to date, and if you can just sing right, if you can just perform perfectly, if you can just sound the best, that they would push their button and turn around and you would be singing, Take Me Home Tonight by Eddie Money. No, no. But if you could just sound right, then, then she would remember the day that she left you. He would remember the day that he would left you, and you would be vindicated. You would be justified. You would have succeeded. You would have proven your self-worth. If that person, that, 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 if they would just push their button. But the problem is, is we stand in these insecurities trying to prove ourselves to people, and the, the, the seats never turn around. You know why? They ain't got buttons to push. You set them in a seat that they didn't ask to be sit, they didn't ask to be in. And you gave them a chair without a button. But can I just say that there is one man who has a button, that it has already been pushed, that it was pushed before you got on stage, that he says, you don't have to audition for me. You don't have to perform for me. All I want to do is be in relationship with you. There is nothing that you can do that, 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 that makes me um, love you more, that I, you, have given, you have gotten all of my love. His name is Jesus Christ. For years, I thought that um, there was this, the insecurity was like the opposite of pride, right? And that cocky people dealt with pride, struggled with pride. Humble people struggled with insecurities. 
But what I've realized is that those insecurities in our lives are actually a bigger insult to God because we're essentially looking at God saying, you didn't quite get it right when you made me. Even though Genesis 127 says that you are made in his likeness and in his image. I've already said it a couple of times. Deuteronomy 28:13 says you're head not the tail, above and not below. Bless going in, bless going out. Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah 1 says that, that, we, um, that he knew us in our, um, before we were in our, other, in our mother's womb and he set us apart. He, we are chosen people. That uh, Ephesians 1 says that we are blessed, we are chosen, we are are bought back, redeemed, um, uh, that we have an inheritance, that it is signed by the Holy, or sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his masterpiece, and that Romans 8 says that there is nothing that has the ability to separate us from his love, that there is nothing that has the ability to separate us from his love. So it's in accepting that, it's in stepping in the relationship and accepting accepting that there is nothing that I have done that has the ability to, to deter God from my life. So I am going to walk in that. And it is in the relationship and the walking in that that we find ourselves surrendering to what God has for us instead of what I have for myself and having that discipline. And we find ourselves a little more on fire than we did yesterday. And we do it again tomorrow. And we find ourselves a little more on fire for what God has for us. And then the next day, and then the next day, until we step into here, believing as one body, one community with many parts, right? We preached it last week. One body, one, one community with many parts that is experiencing, seeing the love and, 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 and affirmation from God and responding to it. It's not something that we're sitting on the sidelines watching as, as a game, but something that we're interacting with in the very moment. That destroys an insecurity, That destroys the lies of the enemy, and that will set you up to change your life. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Father's House. We hope you stay connected by following us online at fathershouse.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at TFHHutch.